episode 5 of Root the Truth podcast, what I learned about the Enneagram. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 5. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited about this episode. It's my first guest show. I could not have thought of a better person to have as a first guest than my good friend Marshall. He inspired me to do this podcast, and I just think he has an incredible voice that needs to be shared with the world, so there just isn't a better person to have this conversation with. Today, we're going to talk about the Enneagram, which has really changed my life, and I thought it would be cool to discuss it with him because our personality types are on paper so different. And so I thought I'd give you a really good perspective of the different ways that this particular test manifests itself into different personalities and how even though we seem so different, him being a white male, me being a black woman, and having our vastly different personality types, we still can come together and have an amazing friendship and really great discourse. So I hope you enjoy the show as much as we did recording it. Uh, This is the first of two shows that I'll have with Marshall. Next week, we'll talk about truth, which I think is going to be a really awesome show for you guys also. But I just hope that you enjoy it. Stay tuned with this great conversation with my good friend, Marshall. Hello, Marshall. Welcome. Hey, Ruth. So good to talk to you. Oh, my gosh. I'm just so excited to have you here. I'm very, very excited to be here. It's always been a little small dream of mine to be on a podcast someday. So thanks for making my dream come true today. It's funny you say that because I always had a dream to have a podcast. And I feel like if I hadn't met you, I probably would not have started it. So it's just meant to be. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. If you all can't tell, we're like friends in real life and I could not have ever dreamed of having another first guest on Ruth the Truth podcast. So I'm just so excited to have Marshall here and I guess I'll just let him tell a little bit about who he is, his background, and then we'll get into our topic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my name is Marshall, um, 27. Oh my God. No, wait, hold on. <laughs> I think I totally just forgot what age I am. I think I'm actually 26. Wow, this is this is what oh, the 20s are. Oh, you're aging yourself. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Cool. Um. Yeah. It's COVID. It's COVID. I mean, I honestly, I feel like the last couple of months have been decades of my life. So exactly. Uh, <laughs> you only give yourself one year. That's not bad. Yeah. Um. So I'm from Tennessee. Um. And um. I am. Um, I'm a writer. That's probably the word I use to define myself most often. Um, of course, you know, we all have lots of definitions, but, um, yeah, I'm very, my, my core values are curiosity and integrity. Um, so I'm very interested in the way in, in asking questions and very interested in the ways that, that everything connects, um, and I do consider myself to be a, a pretty spiritual person, um, I'm Christian, but I'm also progressive, so um, I feel like, um, you know, those those two things are, um, 
yeah, I think they're just they're different than 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 some people would would think of um, when they first think of Christians. So, um, yeah, I'm very a very curious person. Very, um, I love to learn. I love conversations with people. And um, sorry, I was a little rambly, but that's that's yeah, that's I. Um, that's why I love listening to podcasts and now, you know, now talking to someone on a podcast, it's very cool. Cause I think that, you know, <clears throat> cause storytelling is, is such a part of, of who I am. And I think that, you know, the conversations we have with other people, we really see ourselves in those conversations and we, and we really get to see the other person and I think that's such a pleasure and such an honor. So it's such a great joy to be here talking to you today. Oh, my gosh. I just love how you describe yourself. I think you can learn a lot about people from how they respond to the question, like, who are you? Or tell me about yourself. And you just go right in there with your core values and like, yeah, just really deep things about yourself, which I really love and appreciate. Um, and I think if people really think about who they are past the profession into more of what they love and their passions and what connects them to other people, I think we'd be better off. So I just, and I, I'd like that you help, I think me personally think more in those terms. I feel like I've had deeper conversations with you than I've had with maybe anybody. So I appreciate that. And, you know, just listening to you talk about yourself, I just even am more affirmed in how, why we have such a close friendship, because all of those things I connect with so deeply. I very much consider myself a spiritual person and also progressive and a Christian and a progressive, which I think my whole life, I thought those were opposing thoughts, which, you know, we'll kind of get into in a, another discussion about truths. But I think it's just really refreshing when you meet someone who has very similar ideals about things and so it's just been like truly my pleasure and honor to get to know you so thank you so much also for being on the show I'm very excited about this conversation yeah well <clears throat> it's an absolute joy to be a friend and you know so far I've gotten so much from your podcast so um excited to to hear more truth with Ruth you know in the future <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, so I guess we can start getting into this topic. I felt like because you were really instrumental in my discovery of this topic, it would be perfect for us to talk about together. So today we're going to talk about the Enneagram. I will start by saying that a lot of people pronounce that differently, and you might be annoyed by the fact that I say Enneagram, so please, listeners, I apologize. This is just how I'm going to say it, so you have to bear with your girl. But yes, the Enneagram, I think it is one of the most important things that I've discovered in my life next to shame. Um, and it's funny because it was just something that I stumbled on, and I think a lot of people don't know about it. It's funny because when we were talking about this show and the topic, we were having a discussion about, you know, what to talk about. And the topic came up about like exposure, you know, there's a lot of resources about Enneagram on the internet. And we'll talk about some and I'll put some in the show notes. But I feel like a lot of people that I talk to don't know what it is. So I did want to talk a little bit about what it is. But I think the most important thing we'll talk about is how you can apply it to your life. 
every show, I want to dive into something that is not only an existential concept, but something that you can apply to your daily life. So that's mostly what we're going to talk about. But first, I think I'll ask Marshall, um, because I, I would consider him more of an expert in this topic than myself, how he would explain the Enneagram. And then we'll get into it's really deep. So we'll get into facets of it before we get into how you can apply it, but I'll let him take it. Yeah. Um, so definitely, definitely not an expert, but, um, the Enneagram is, is endlessly fascinating to me. So, um, I personally have benefited so much from the work of, uh, an organization called the Enneagram Institute. And then also, um, kind of the, my main, um, channel of access into learning about the Enneagram has been through um, books by Ian Morgan Cron and Susan Stabile. The first one is called The Road Back to You, and the um, she did a sequel called, oh goodness, I think it's The Path Between Us, um, and they, their writings, I was, I, I think about 2016-2017, I had I'd first started hearing about the Enneagram a lot. Um, it's pretty, it, it's um, I'd graduated from university the year before at us like a, a small private Christian school, uh, university and people, it wasn't really that popular. I think in, in those spaces when I was in, was in, I was when I was in university, but then right after it kind of really, um, started becoming more, more well-known, more ubiquitous, um, in the, in that niche, <laughs> uh, sector of the culture. And, um, when I first heard about it, I was just kind of like, oh, like, cool, like another personality test. I love personality tests, you know, so I, in some ways, very, like, the water bottle I'm drinking out of right now, uh, has a Slytherin emblem on it, so I'm very into personality tests. Um, you know, Myers-Briggs, um, uh, I'm a ENTJ, <laughs> uh, or depending on the day, I might be an ENFJ. I'm very, very close on, on the T and the F. Um, I resonate with Virgo a lot. You know, so, so you know, I think personality tests are fun, Thanks. but I think they can be kind of reductive. Um, mm. They don't seem very, most of them don't seem super holistic. And so I think they, they focus in on aspects of our personality, but I think a lot of them struggle to like, it's like, yeah, I might be that way in that space, but I might not be it in this space, you know, um, yes. because I think we all, you know, contain multiple identities, you know, so um, we can get a bit, a bit too black and white, I think. But yeah. when I heard about the Enneagram, um, I really, it, it took me a minute because it kind of awakens you to things you might not want to know about yourself. So it, it took me a little bit to get into it, and then I was completely hooked. Um, so, you know, what we know about the Enneagram is that people say that it, that it was, um, that it's kind of ancient, or it has roots, you know, in ancient culture, um, lots of different cultures, and I'm definitely, you know, not an expert on the history of it. Um, but from what I've heard, it, you know, kind of rose, um, to um, a more prominent place as a way to explain and interpret uh, aspects of personality in the last um, in the last century. 
Um, and it definitely does have a, um, a prominence right now in, and I would say, uh, just left of like mainstream Christianity, <laughs> like not, I, I wouldn't say the, in all of Christianity, but kind of the younger, um, crowd. And, and also, I would also say probably the more mystical crowd, yeah, but, um, yeah. but, but it's not, it's not um religious inherently so it's it it you can really you can read religious themes into it but i don't i don't think it from what i've understood it's inherently you know on that level like it's not connected to any one religion but i think it can be helpful for people regardless of a faith you know if you're a person of faith or you know atheist or agnostic i think it could be really helpful because it speaks to our deepest fears it speaks to our deepest desires to our our wounds, to our potential. It's very dynamic. It's very uh, fluid and flowing. And it doesn't just put you in a box, but it says, this is who you are in a good day, on a bad day, in a season of growth, in a season of despair. You know, it kind of allows for your vastness, um, which I really appreciate. Yes, I love that. And I think that is what has made it so different for me than other personality tests. I, too, love personality tests. I will take a quick BuzzFeed, you know, what so-and-so character are you or what shoe are you? I just like them, just, you know, even if they mean nothing. But the thing that really struck me about the Enneagram, well, I would say two things. Number one, I felt like it really got to more of a soul matter versus kind of superficial behaviors that I think, you know, other personality tests that I've taken in the past were more about behaviors. And this really gets to the root of those behaviors. And something that I'm learning more, um, we both read The Untethered Soul, um, which is a really good book. I recommend it. But one of the things it talks about is that you are not what you do. And I've been learning that a lot um, in this adult journey of mine. And the Enneagram really kind of reaffirmed that for me because I really kind of thought that I was the behavior that I exhibited. And the Enneagram will teach you that your behavior is actually a defense mechanism to protect you from what your deepest fears are. And also to kind of drive you towards your deepest desires. And that's not necessarily who you are, what you do. And it's also, I think what you do is contextualized in whether or not you're in growth or whether or not you're in a season of stress and in different parts of, you know, your growing life in terms of age. So I just, I love the way you said it allows for your vastness because I think that's very true about this. And it's something that, I think people need to know more that they don't pigeonhole themselves in I'm this way, I'm this way, but really understand that we're vast creatures that, you know, I've been seeing a meme that I like a lot, which is like normalize changed opinions based on new information. And I just, I love that because I just feel like a lot of times you say, this is who I am and it doesn't matter what I learn or what I experience. This is what I'm going to think. And this is who I am. But the Enneagram really teaches us that we're really vast. There's times when you're going to be in stress. There's time that you're going to be in a period of, you know, thriving and growth and you're going to be a certain way in those times. And that's okay, which I think is the big part is that's okay. And it kind of takes me back to my podcast on shame and how 
I think I had a lot of shame around who I was as a person in terms of my personality. And I think learning about the Enneagram really helped me release some of that shame. It was actually probably the foundation of my shame work. I learned about the Enneagram before I really started digging into shame. But, you know, I think they really go hand in hand because it shows you that the things that you did that you might have thought were really terrible and negative are really natural to this same kind of personality type that has the same core desires and fears as you do. And number one, it also lets you know that you're not alone, which I think is really helpful for certain personality types more than others. But I think just a core human feeling is this idea that you want to know you're not alone and that you're not intrinsically bad for things that you're doing or thinking. So, um, yeah, I really think that it's an important discovery a self-discovery tool more than just taking your run-of-the-mill personality I've taken all the 16 personalities in Myers-Briggs but I think this is more of if you're ready to start a journey of self-discovery this is something that I suggest you look into and even if you're not ready honestly I still suggest that you um just look into it it's really interesting um Okay, so I went on Enneagram Institute, and I was looking at their kind of intro primer to what the Enneagram is, and the officially what they said is that it's a set of nine distinct personality types with each number on the Enneagram denoting one type. It is common to find a little of yourself in all nine of the types, although one of them should stand out as being closest to yourself. This is your basic personality type. Everyone emerges from childhood with one of the nine types dominating their personality with inborn temperament and other prenatal factors being the main determinants of our type. This is one area where most major Enneagram authors agree. We are born with a dominant type. Subsequently, this inborn orientation largely determines the way in which we learn to adapt in our early childhood environment. Wow. Marshall, what do you think about that statement? How do you feel about how the Enneagram, assuming that, you know, you were the same number, which I guess, you know, you can say what you are, but assuming you were that when you were born, you know, what do you think about that and the effect that your number could have had on how you interpreted the experiences that you had in your early childhood? Yeah, I, um, one of my, I think one of the the values or the beliefs that is so important to me personally is believing in intrinsic goodness and believing in that who who we are is fundamentally good, um, even though we obviously have huge capacities for destruction of self and others and our environment. I think that when you strip it all away who we are is good. And, and, you know, I think that's really why what you said about shame, you know, everything does come back to shame because shame so deeply shapes our sense of self and it limits our sense of self. It says you cannot grow in this direction. You are forever under this ceiling. You know, you, your, your potential is capped at, at this level because who you are is not enough. Who you are cannot is not valued by other people it's not wanted it's not loved it's not accepted it's not seen and so i feel like the enneagram what's so transformative about it for me in my life has been that it is 
the um it has been the doorway through which healing could come to heal my shame because I can pinpoint, ah, this is the, the place. This is the core lie. This is the core, um, um, you know, thing that, that I have believed to be true that is not true. Um, and so, you know, I think each of us, you know, have that kind of thing, and what takes it so much deeper than a personality test is like, if you're bonding with someone over the Enneagram, you're really bonding with them over that which which um, is like your deepest pain, <laughs> which is hard, you know. But then also at the same, you know, the same token, I think it's also your deepest goodness and your deepest potential. Yeah. And so, you know, not to not to sing Lady Gaga, but I do think in some ways you're born this way. And then also <laughs> your life shapes, your, you know, like life shapes you also, you know, so it's it's um, I don't I think that I love the idea of your number being who you started the journey as and who you, you know, as you as you. As, as like as like uniquely good and and then who you became as you faced the challenges of life but then from what i've heard um, from enneagram experts is that ultimately the idea is that you would um become so whole that you would integrate to such a level that you can function in any of the nine numbers not, 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 not that not that you are all nine numbers but that you can take on the positive characteristics of other numbers. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like that can, that's true with just our friendships. You know, I think the more you get to know someone, the more you become like them in, in certain ways, you know, the more that you can take on some of their virtues. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I don't know if we want to, I guess we should probably explain the numbers <laughs> 20 minutes in. Um, but yeah. So, um, we can talk about the numbers, but so for me, my number is, um, I'm, I'm one. So it's, you know, it's a nine sided figure, nine numbers. And, um, my number is, is number one. And, um, some people call it the perfectionist, but, um, I prefer the Enneagram Institute's, um, definition as the reformer. And basically, um, for me, that means that my core, um, like the deepest desire of my heart is to be good and is to have integrity and to be feel like I'm a good person. Um, and that, so, so kind of the, the core shame message that I have received in my life is that I'm not good, that there is something, um, fundamentally flawed about me and that I, um, you know, I, th I think that, that there's something fundamentally wrong about me and that I might not even be able to perceive what it is, but that everyone knows that everyone sees this part of me and is criticizing this part of me. So as my shame based response to that has been throughout my life has been to please and perfect and to criticize myself and to um, 
kind of do anything I could do to be perceived as good. But that didn't take away that deep, deep feeling like maybe I'm not good enough. And um, so <laughs> I was, I, um, it's one of the things about the Enneagram that has been so helpful for me is learning that, you know, each number has their own particular struggles. So for me as a one, I um, have an inner critic in my head. And, you know, I, I think we all have, you know, voices in our head, um, you know, voices of, of our culture that, or that say, you know, but we all have the voice of not enough, but, but for a one, it is an actual, it, it is a, it is a constant state of judgment that you are, that is just, it's nonstop. And I, when I was reading, reading Suzanne Stabile's book, um, I, she had a passage about ones and how we feel like we're thinking all the time, but what we're really doing is judging all the time. And that is so, so, <laughs> so true in my life for sure. Um, so, but once I know that about myself, I can, I don't have to live in dysfunction anymore. So once I know that I can say, okay, what do I need to do? What, or, or what, um, how will I believe in my own goodness? How will I, how can I help, how can I love myself through this journey? How can I be my friend on this journey? Just like, like if I were someone else, if I, if I had a friend that didn't believe that they were good enough, that believed that no matter what they did, they, they were never good. I could very easily perceive that to be a lie. But then when it's yourself, it feels so much harder. Um, so it's been so, it's so, 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 so healing. Um, so yeah, I think what's cool about the Enneagram is, is everyone has a number and, but you're not, you don't have to stay in the dysfunction of your number. You can grow. You're allowed to, to grow and to expand and to, um, I think become your full, your full self. Oh my gosh, you just said so many things that I love and want to touch on. I think the way you explain the Enneagram reminds me that it really is kind of a microcosm of just like the journey of life, how to learn how to heal from your shame message, your fears, how to be your own friend. I think that is the greatest journey for all of us as humans is how to learn how to love ourselves and be less critical of ourselves and but also at the same time hold ourselves accountable and remember that we can strive for better and more integrated lives. And I think it's interesting because I you know, okay, so I'm an eight, right? And so the eight is known as the challenger. And um, I'll give you some traits. It's the powerful, dominating, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. 
So even now when I hear those things, I have a visceral reaction because I felt so much shame in my life growing up as that number. And I think a lot of that has to do with society's expectations of women. Um, Ian Crone touches on this in The Road Back to You, how eight is seen as like a positive number for men, but it's looked down on when it comes to women. And, you know, it's the age old double standard of, you know, a man is aggressive and a woman is a bee or, you know, a man is success driven and a woman is a ball buster. So, you know, it's something that I think a lot of women struggle with, but I don't know if they attribute it to being an eight on the Enneagram. And so it really helped me kind of realize, number one, that these things, they're not inherently negative, and thus I'm not inherently negative, but also that they're in response to something. And, you know, once I kind of address both what those actions are, and then what they are in response to, I can, you know, as Marshall talked about, heal and be on this journey of healing. And I think for me, it's interesting that they say that you're born with this dominant number that you are. I follow maybe too many Enneagram people on Instagram. There's a lot. I had no idea how many. There's like Enneagram artists and all kinds of stuff. accounts now that are are like meme accounts. You know, there's so much out there, yeah. And it's not necessarily helpful. So, you know, you just kind of have to parse through it. It's like, um, what does your Starbucks drink say about your, like, what type of um, donut would you eat per, you know, your Enneagram number? So, right. Which is essentially the buzzfeedification of the Enneagram, you know? So it's like, it's taking this like very, and I mean, it's fun. Like, I like to look at that sometimes too and laugh, you know, like, but it's taking this thing that is, um, so personal like and then being like oh it's like a parlor trick you know exactly and I think sometimes that may you know I think it has positives and negatives I think it might help as an onboarding for some people who aren't ready to take such an introspective look at their lives but then on the same times I think it can make other people think it's trite and it's you know something that you don't have to use as a tool to you know true healing and, and self-integration but you know I digress so I followed this one and it said that the number that you are in growth or you're thriving or integration is the number that you are actually born with and you had as a child and then life experiences and your core fears and shame messages made you cover that up And then it became the number you are now. And so, you know, the journey of self-parenting or, you know, healing your inner child is also essentially the integration journey to get back to your inner child, which I thought was very interesting. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I guess we should probably, so um, I definitely want to just like push people to the Enneagram Institute or the road back to you. Uh, or there's uh, Father Richard Rohr, uh, who is a one, has has uh, um, great resources on the Enneagram. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, definitely want to push people towards that. But we should definitely talk about, like, when you're what you're just talking about, about the, the number of integration and the number of uh, stress or disintegration. 
Yeah, so there's, like I said, a couple facets to each number. So they have your wings, and then there's disintegration and integration. So um, integration and disintegration. Disintegration is basically the number that you gravitate towards in stress, or you pick up certain behaviors that are dominant in this number, and that's what is like your disintegration number. And then for integration, it's the opposite. So the number that you gravitate more towards in health, thriving, growth, um, and like I said, kind of the number that may be reflective of who you are as a young child before you were kind of introduced to really tough things. And I have to say that when we're talking about shame messages and tough experiences, you might think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I had a really good childhood and I didn't have trauma and I didn't have terrible things happen. The Enneagram is not only for people who had traumatic childhoods. Marshall, you know, you can speak to that personally, but I wouldn't consider myself to have had this really traumatic childhood. It can also be your perception of what things were and they don't necessarily need to be traumatic. It could be just something that you developed as a fear. And so I don't want you to think that, you know, it only pertains to you if there was something that was really terrible that happened in your childhood. This is, you know, all of us are one of these nine numbers, like everyone on the planet. And so it's, you know, if you had a great childhood, if it was really traumatic, it really depends on how you saw things and how you perceive things, which goes to say too about, you know, and your household, just because you're raised in the same place and you think you had a similar childhood doesn't mean that you're going to have the same Enneagram number. In fact, you probably don't. Um, it's just your perception of how you saw and filtered the things that you experienced in your life. So um, that's such a good yeah. point. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, like, like we were talking about earlier, it just allows for so much change um, because you, you know, who you are, um, can manifest in so many different ways. And, you know, like, like I had a great childhood, so, you know, I agree with you about uh, what you're saying about childhood wounds, but even if we are completely loved as best as our parents can do, there's still limits, you know? And so, and exactly. all of us, all of us, I mean, we're all human. We all love in on a human level, which is, um, beautiful, but also can be, you know, it, it, we, we hurt each other, you know, just, that's just, that's what human relationships are. We, it's, it's, it's a balance. Um, be, and so, yeah, like, I think that you don't have to feel like you have a lot of trauma to work through for this to be helpful. Um, because we all have like we all have dysfunction and we all have um things that we're good at you know so in both both ends and the enneagram really encapsulates both the positives and and the the challenges um regardless of you know what your life has looked like um and we all need to know that we're loved we all need to know that we're enough we all need to know that people see us they acknowledge us they accept us and so Everyone needs that regardless of, you know, what your past might look like. 
I love that. I think that if you really boil down all the core desires and fears of all the numbers, they really do boil down to this intrinsic human universal need to be loved and to be protected. They just kind of manifest themselves in different ways, but they're really, you know, kind of what you say about God being a prism. Like it's really just a prism, a way of, and I like that the visualization of Enneagram is one circle and, you know, the numbers are distributed on that circle. And it's kind of that, that we're really all the same and it's very fluid. We're just kind of different sides of the same prism so but yeah so disintegration and integration um, and then there's wings to the Enneagram so you know I know what wings are but I have to say I think Marshall you might do a better job of explaining them I know what my wings are and what they mean I see how they manifest themselves in different parts of my life but you know I don't know how I would explain what they are yeah, um, I, uh, this is, you know, again, this whole conversation is very, like, colloquial and not, like, we are not, you know, Enneagram academics, but. Yeah, we're not uh, doctors. Right, yeah, so I'm sure that, you know, someone would probably disagree with this, but the way that I just explain it to people that I'm just telling about it for the first time is I always say it's kind of like your, mi- your major and your minor, like, so it's like, for me, from what I've heard, wings are like, um it's not like your dominant way that you go about things. It's not like your the truest thing about you, but it's, it's a, it's a, like a capacity you have. It's like a, um, so like, uh, so I'm a one and then your wing would be whatever. So, you know, it's, it's one through nine and then the nine is next to the one. Cause it's a circle or it's, it's a nine sided figure and they draw a circle around it. Um, and so my potentials for wings would be, nine and one or it would be nine and two and so um according to the enneagram institute one uh with a nine wing is the idealist um and then one with the two wing is the advocate and so um the nine is um the peacemaker and i love nines i'm married to one um and then the two is the helper Um, and so for me, I really feel like I identify with the one wing too, because I, um, (laughs) uh, you know, I have, as, as a one, I do have a bit of a negative bias. So what I see of myself in the two is the people pleasing aspect of that. Um, but also at the same time, I am very, um, passionate about justice, um, as a and then I see that playing out through as a two because I really care about what happens to other people. Um, and so I, you know, advocate for others or I advocate for the earth because, um, because I want to help them. Um, and then like you talked about the, the number of disintegration and the number of integration or growth and stress I think that really sold me on the Enneagram because it allowed for so much flexibility. And when I was first deciding, you know, what I, what my number was, you know, there's different ways you can go about it. There's tests or um, you can kind of just read the descriptions. And from what I've heard, um, one of the best ways to know what you are is which one irritates you the most. And so I was like, Oh my God, this, this, this reformer, like, sounds like such an annoying goody two shoes 
Um, so I was like, oh, <laughs> it me. Um, but um, I love seeing the numbers of, of growth and stress because my stress number is a four and a four is the individualist. Um, and I described this, you know, this is probably um, not fair to fours, but I described this part of me, of me as a one when I go into four when I'm stressed out is it's very like, oh, no one understands me. I'm just so unique. My No one has ever been like me before, and no one gets me, so I'm just forever an outsider. <laughs> um, a, little angsty, a little angsty. Yeah, yeah, and so when I, I originally was wondering if maybe I was a four, because that was like who I was in college. I was just so angsty. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, maybe I'm a four, but the more and more I learned about the, the core wound, then or the core desire or drive then i was like nope i'm definitely a one um and then the number that i go to in um times of growth is the seven um the seven is the enthusiast and like it i am such a planner that it would be it was such a um it felt so weird to to think of myself when i'm healthy as this very spontaneous, like, let's try it all, let's do it all, I just love life kind of person, um, until I really started thinking about who I am on vacation. And oh, yeah. it was like, oh, 100%. Like, um, I, I have always loved Winnie the Pooh. And like, when I think of the enthusiast, I think of Tigger. And I, when you talk, it's so funny because when you talk about, you know, who were you as, as a child, I have a photo of my favorite photo of me as a kid is I'm dressed up as Tigger. Aww. And I used to just like run around the house and just be like up in everyone's business and just having so much fun and just really this, this sense of exploration and the sense of just pure curiosity. Whimsy. Um, yeah, whimsy, absolutely. And so, when I am on vacation, I am like so chill and I also want to do literally everything and I want to try literally everything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool to get to see yourself fluctuate like that, you know? And, you know, eventually if your friends and family are know about the Enneagram, they can call you out when you're in your stress number, you know, they can say like, Hey, like you're really acting like a four today. And it's, and what's, <laughs> the, what's so interesting about this is, is this is, I will never be a seven really, or never really be a four, but this is like the worst thing about your stress. You're you, in stress. You're the worst thing about that number. And in health, you're the best thing about that number. Um, so you're not taking on all the baggage of those numbers in their fullness, you know, you're still kind of operating from this base. So, but I love it between the wings and, and the integration, disintegration, you have so much room to be, to be yourself and to just expand in, in every direction. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I like how you described it as major minor because it does, you know, help you illustrate the fact that you will never really fully become that number, but it's kind of, you know, a minor in terms of it's not fully you, but you're still part of that. And yeah, I definitely see that with my wings too. So I'm an eight and my wings are seven and nine. And I definitely see how they have 
shown up in different parts of my life. Um, so the seven, like he said, is really much the enthusiast. And that was probably my entire twenties. Like I was just living my best life and, um, out here in these streets and just really having a good time. Um, I had serious FOMO and I think that's a huge, um, part of being a seven. You just always feel like you're missing out on something. If I'm not out, there's something can happen. And I don't, I mean, it was literal, like Jay-Z could show up at this club that five people go to that I go to on Saturday. So I have to go, you know, like, and completely unreal, but I just felt all the time that I just had to be out or I'm going to miss something incredible and great. And, you know, in my thirties, so I turned 32 years ago and I've just seen myself change so much and really embrace my nine wing which you know is the peacemaker and especially I can see that really play out in work situations and it's funny because I always used to tell people even before I knew about the Enneagram you know if this had happened to me four years ago I couldn't work here you know because it was just something that would have made me so upset in a previous life that I would have gone off and I would have, you know, either quit or had to be laid off, you know. And now I see myself really being a lot more thoughtful about the decisions I'm making and having a lot more empathy for other people and really ultimately just wanting there to be peace and not a lot of disagreement, which was, you know, that is the antithesis of who I was when I was both an adolescent and coming up in my 20s. And so I think it's interesting how the wings show up in your in different times in your life. And so my husband is one. And it's interesting when I hear Marshall talking about his seven wing on vacation, because that I think is one of the things that made me like, I was already in love with my husband at this point, but we went on vacation and we went to Miami and I just saw this like childlike sparkle in his eyes that I had never seen before. He's a pretty serious person, um, but it was just amazing to see him in his element. So he's totally a water person, just comes alive around water and water near water. But there was just something about who he was on vacation that just kind of allowed him to be more free and have more fun and play that just it was just really endearing. And I loved it. So it's interesting to hear you talk about you on vacation, too. I think his seven wing definitely shows up when he's on vacation um, or when he not his seven wing, but um, when he's in integration that he really shows up as a seven. So. And I think it's interesting with eights and ones that I have a seven wing and then a one goes to seven in integration. So it's like when he's thriving and I am feeling that wing in myself, we kind of share that connection. And then when, so for my integration number, it's a two. That's where I go when I'm in growth. And I see sometimes that my husband, he's really into his two wing. And when I'm thriving, that's where I go. So it's just kind of interesting how when you're thinking about compatibility with people, not just in romantic relationships, but even in friendships, how certain things will connect you to people. And then when you look at it, it's really kind of rooted in the Enneagram. And then in disintegration or stress, I go to five and oh man, I go to five a lot. So five, what would you call that? They're like the analyst. Uh, they think a lot. Um, 
Yeah, what would you? What's yeah, the best way to um, The Indiana Institute calls them investigators. Oh yeah, very much that. My oldest niece is definitely an investigator, and I think their core. They have a what is it? Avarice is kind of their. What do they call the um, deadly sin, quote unquote, that's associated with them? So basically this idea that it's a capacity scarcity kind of issue. And in my stress mode, you'll see me, number one, keep to myself. I get a lot more reserved. I get a lot more analytical and so basically emotions kind of go out the window. I'm just thinking about facts and figures and numbers. Um, also, I think, and this is probably unfair to fives too, but I tend to get a little hoardy. Um, if somebody is, I just really protect myself. I go into protection mode. And, you know, that's something that I think I've seen come out a little bit with the pandemic and just this idea that, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of scarcity messages happening and just a lot of stress in general, stress on stress, both with racial tensions at an all-time high, well, in my lifetime, and then also a global pandemic. I've seen a little bit of my five come out and I've had to kind of think about what is this coming from and how can I address it, you know? And that's one of those things that I love what Marshall said too, is that it allows you the Enneagram in its fullness allows you to look at yourself and other people, frankly, but really look at yourself and say, okay, what can I do to heal this part of me that's speaking up right now? I behaved in this manner. So that's probably my, you know, fill in the blank coming out. Now, what, what do I need? What is that part of me saying? And what can I give to myself to heal that part of me? You know, even if it's in the moment, which I think is really important. That's so interesting thinking about the Enneagram in context of um, the pandemic um, because it's so interesting. Like, like, like my one, you know, as a one, I was super agitated that, that there are, well, I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic there were rules and now it's like a free-for-all, even though we still know that masks work. Um, but like Preach. when it was like in the like toilet paper phase of the pandemic, it was like, okay, can we not just follow the rules? Like just go home. Like I was so rigid <laughs> and just so, you know, like this is what is right. You know, even though, you know, and, uh, but then also kind of as, as, as the weeks went on and as I started feeling less and less mentally healthy because the existential stress was just so overwhelming. I got so into four where I was like, wow, no one cares about my health. I'm wearing the mask, which protects <laughs> them, but they don't care about my health. So they're not wearing a mask, which protects me. And, you know, just very like super, <laughs> fours are incredible people. So I'm not, I'm not dissing on the four, but again, it's just that you kind of pick up their worst traits when you're not healthy. So true. Oh my gosh. It's funny how we have the phases of the pandemic, like the toilet paper phase versus the baking phase. Like, and I saw something that someone posted about the emotional phases and how there was this heroic phase that we all kind of felt collectively. And, you know, it was kind of just this, we're all going to band together. And I did see a little bit of my two, you know, helper come out in that moment. But, and I think this stuff is so 
fluid that it goes daily. I mean, even by the hour, you might feel like you're in stress in, in one number one moment and you're in growth in another. You know, there's no time constraints or anything. It's just these are ways to correlate your behavior with certain things that you're experiencing. And so. Absolutely. Yeah. I would give anything to go back to the sourdough and yoga phase about week three. <laughs> Yeah, the like good everyone time. was like exercising and like feeling good and watching so much movie. It was yeah, it was like, and then that then it was just after that it was just the dread was. Tiger King Non-stop. was the catalyst of <laughs> when everything. Once Tiger King hit, it was downhill from there. That that just, is such. Mm-hmm, that's what did it, Carol Baskin. Um, I would love to talk about um our friendship um in. So we have a Enneagram connection in that you and I are both in the same, what's called triad. Um, so there are, um, you know, nine numbers and they are grouped um, eight, nine, one. So eight being um, eight is the challenger, nine is the peacemaker, and one is the reformer. So that's one grouping. And that is um, like according to the Enneagram Institute, that they call it the instinctive center. Um, and it's kind of like our core emotion is anger. Um, and then the other triads are um, the, so the, the next one is the feeling center. Um, and they kind of struggle most with, with shame. Um, and that is the helper, number two, the helper, number three, the achiever, and number four, the individualist. And then the next, uh, the next one is the thinking center. So that's numbers five, six, and seven. Um, so five is the investigator, six the loyalist, the seven the enthusiast, and they they struggle with fear. And um, it has been the triad is, is so helpful for me because I've always thought like, oh, am I more of a thinker or a feeler? But I realize actually I'm very I'm very gut oriented. I'm very instinctual. Um, which sometimes at times can feel like feeling and at times can feel like thinking. Um, but in our triad, we, all of us, eight, nine, and one, we deal so much with anger. Um, and I feel from what I've heard for eights, it kind of manifests outward. Nines are kind yeah. of asleep to their anger, like, cause they're the peacemaker. So they don't know that they're angry, <laughs> but um, you know, then you get far enough and then you're like, Oh wow, you actually are pretty angry. Their um, eight wing comes out. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then for ones, um, we kind of, uh, ones are very repressed. So we repress our anger. Um, and it's so interesting because once you know that about yourself, you can kind of like, you can kind of forgive yourself. Like you can kind of like. That's good. Or you can kind of empathize with yourself. You can be like, yeah, there is a lot to be angry about. <laughs> like there is a lot of imperfection. There is a lot of things that are not right, like white supremacy or 140,000 people dying from COVID. You know, like, like it's okay to be angry about systemic injustice. It's okay to be angry about the climate warming. It's okay to be angry, at, you know, all this stuff. And so... Right. When you realize, like, when you validate the anger, when you sit with the anger, when you say, hey, anger, cool, I'm glad you showed up. I can't let you 100% run my life, but I'm really, I, I see you. I, I 
get it, you know? Um, I think then it can kind of, like, not, I don't want to say it's your superpower, but, you know, you can, you can use it, you know? Absolutely. And you can channel it into advocacy. And you and I are so, so, so passionate about social justice. And um, I feel like I had very limited experience with, with AIDS, um, but I did have, um, I did have a couple of people in my life that I, you know, of course this was before I was Enneagram, awakened to the Enneagram. So I, I hadn't talked to them and don't know their types, but some people in my life that I'd had conflict with that, um, I might could assume would be, or had some characteristics of an eight. Um, because eight is so valued in America, especially in men. But like you said earlier, not valued in women very much. Um, and, um, so it's this, it is, I, I think I was a little scared of eights, if I'm honest. Um, and so when I met you and found out that you were an eight, I was like, oh my goodness, she's incredible. Like, and I so saw your, I saw the way that you fight for the marginalized, the way that you fight for oppressed people. And it was like, wow, this is not that dissimilar than how I feel. And yeah, so yeah. I really connected on that. I think we connected with anger, um, which from some of our conversations, you would know that we're actually, I think, pretty joyful people. Um, but it's just because <laughs> there is a lot to be angry about, you know? Um, and when you find someone that validates that in you, it's, it's incredible. I love that, man, that, yeah, it's so interesting because I feel the same way about you and it's interesting how certain things are beneficial in some ways, but society tells us that they're not. And I've been thinking a lot about anger with, you know, what's going on with racial tensions and just everything in the world and how I feel like society has told us that anger is bad. And anger really is an emotion that it's, you know, psychological. It is the psychological response to injustice, which I said, you know, in my racism podcast. But also I was reading a book about emotional intelligence. I think it's by Mark Brackett. And he talks about this thing called the mood meter and how certain emotions spurn you to certain actions. And anger is the one emotion that is linked to most action. You get angry, you get up and you do something. And so, you know, when my whole life thinking that anger was my downfall or the worst thing about me, you know, it's really like you said about channeling it into something positive and how can I use my anger and direct it in a way that you know, it's doing something productive. And again, like you said, not consuming me because mm -hmm. I think, you know, with, I heard somebody use this analogy in a different way, but it's very, I think, similar to eights and ones or illustrates them that eights are kind of like a microwave, really high power, really fast. And ones are kind of like a slow cooker. It's like a more smoldering heat, yes. but still very smoldering much there. resentment. 24-7. Oh <laughs> that is my husband all day. If we get in an argument, it's not going to be, and I'm a yeller, you know, uh -huh. just by nature. And I think even with my family, but definitely as an eight, you know, just I'm going to explode and I want to handle it right now. Mm -hmm. And he's more like, he's not 
a wanting to get into it but also it's very much of a low smolder he will never yell which has been really good for me I think it's tempered me a lot and helped me kind Mm. of learn that you don't always have to have a conversation immediately or you don't always have to have an argument and you don't always have to raise your voice so I think most people in my life have benefited from me learning and, you know, taking those virtues from the oneness of my husband. But right. yeah, I think it's really interesting to see, like, even in my work, I've always kind of been, well, initially I thought I was going to be an attorney, which I think most people would consider like an angry profession if there was one, because I just, you know, like to argue, but it was, you know, arguing on behalf of the marginalized or advocating for somebody and then I changed to a nonprofit career and it was basically with the same mindset of I'm angry about these issues that are affecting these people and I want to do something about them in this way and so I think it's you know just the same thing about learning how the Enneagram really your number in particular shapes everything about you you know I never would have linked the fact that I'm an eight which is a challenger in some cases they call them a defending challenger with the fact that I work in the nonprofit industry and, you know, we work together. So it makes sense that another right. person in the gut triad or the anger triad would feel the same way. Right. And, who, you know, who wants to create for reform? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think, it, like I said, it, things don't change without a little bit of anger. You know, if people mm. weren't angry about things and disgusted with things. We wouldn't see the kind of movement that we've seen in you know, our lifetime and in lifetimes before us. So I think it's something to remember. And the same thing with feeling and the same thing with thinking. I think in different circles, all of those traits have been kind of demonized in a sense, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially now in our next conversation, we're going to talk about truth. But I think thinking, especially right now, Mm -hmm. is kind of being demonized. You know, how, how dare you think that much about this thing or you know, and people thinking that, oh my gosh, am I overthinking or am I thinking too much about this? And then the same thing with feeling. I mean, in my life, especially, I talked about Mm -hmm. this in vulnerability, like my whole life, I think culturally, I've been told that you feel, feeling is a sign of weakness, feeling too much, you know, yes, exactly. What you feel doesn't really exist, you know, that kind of negative diatribe about feeling. So I think all of them, it's really just our life's work to learn how to really channel what you thought was a deficiency into a positive, like you said, you know, making it into your superpower. Anger is Mm -hmm. actually our superpower, but you had no idea. And it's so funny now that I think about isn't that the story with most, you know, comic strip, like superheroes that they thought, oh, it was my crypt, like it was something that was really bad. And then it became my superpower. You got bit by a spider and now you're Spider-Man. I Absolutely. mean, it's basically what it is that, yeah. and they even say that when they talk about, you know, what your strengths are versus what your areas of growth or opportunity, that all of our areas of opportunity or growth are perversions of our strengths. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when you look at what you think is a deficiency in yourself and you really analyze it, it's just a perversion of something that really is your best, the best part of you. So, you know. Yeah, my inner critic makes me an incredible writer because, well, an okay writer and a better editor because I can, I can see where the words need to move. I can, I can hear, I can anticipate someone else's criticism and say, hey, well, you know, 
someone else that, that reads this might not hear what you're trying to get across. So let's move this passage up here and let's, let's flip this around, you know, but to live with an editor's voice in your head 24 seven is exhausting. And so that, which is, you know, positive, you know, about, about my life, my strength, my ability to, um, take messy things or, or, um, you know, to, to kind of bring or to bring order into chaos, um, when it's taken to the nth degree in my own personal life can be very destructive. Um, I'd be really, I'd really be curious to hear about kind of how you, um, came into owning your anger, you know, as, um, or owning like, you're owning your, your identity as a challenger because, you know, as we know, we live in a white, white, cis, hetero, patriarchal, supremacist culture. And, you know, the ways that women expressing anger is, is often, it's, it's demonized. And especially for black women, expressing anger is demonized. So how did you come to embrace that part of yourself? That's a good question. And there's even more intersectionality in that I'm a Kenyan and Kenyan women are really not supposed to express anger. Like it is mm. really looked down upon. Um, man, how did I embrace it? Honestly, I felt like, so another part I think of being an eight and it's in the name, you know, challenger is I was always defiant of that idea that I should not be this. So the more people told me that I should be quiet, I was inspired to be loud. And I thought that I was rebellious, but it turns out that it was really just my natural response to the quieting of society in many levels. And I think another thing that was helpful to me, honestly, was growing into my nine wing and learning how to express myself. And I'm going to say this, and I don't want to make it seem like this is the prescription for all women, especially strong women, eight women. But for me personally, I learned something that I think my mom had always tried to teach me that, you know, you can be strong without being loud and being strategic and thinking and maybe sometimes a little more quiet doesn't necessarily mean that you're being weak. And, you know, I think, our society also says that the loudest voice in the room is, you know, the one that gets listened to. But I think I really embraced later in my 20s and, you know, even now I'm still working on it daily about how to strategically get things done without having to be loud and abrasive, especially because I am a black woman and me being loud and abrasive will get me the exact opposite effect of what I'm looking for. And, you know, my mom always used to say, like, and I think she got this from my big fat Greek wedding, but she used to say that women are like a neck and, you know, men are the head and they don't see you, but you move them. And I kind of took that to heart. Like, I can be the puppet master, so to speak, and not in like a maniacal way. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, manipulating or anything, but I don't necessarily have to be the force you know, majeure that's like loud about it, I can kind of be operating in different ways that aren't necessarily um, as 
overtly challenging as I was in the past. And I've seen great results. Like, I think learning that about myself has propelled me to where I am in life. I think for a long time, I was pretty stagnant when it comes to career and dating and really a lot of things. But I think embracing that idea has really kind of helped me become a fuller self. And so I I do definitely see that embracing my nine wing and learning that there are ways to get things done that, you know, more like a chess game than, you know, hungry, hungry hippos, just being loud and like trying to dominate every conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the best way to go about things. And like I said, that's for me personally, I think, and a lot of times you do have to really embrace that side of yourself to get things done. But for me, it was more learning about the nuance of being kind of like a servant leader, you know, being strong without having to be flashy about my strength, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as we grow and as we evolve as people, I think we learn that... um, you know, I think to be authentic doesn't mean that you share everything with everyone. <laughs> or, um, you know, Brene Brown taught me that. Um, but so I think that, yeah, I think it's a balancing because that the Enneagram points out to us what is kind of unique. And I say unique because uh, with, with, you know, tension, because obviously if there's only nine types, then <laughs> you're not that unique. Um but like what, what feels so essential to you, maybe essential is a better word. What feels so essential to you can be used in a way that's healthy in a way that benefits the world, yourself and others, and in a way that harms yourself and others. And so mm-hmm. if I let my oneness go fully unchecked, then I will, I will self-destruct, you know, and true. I will tear myself down and other people, um, because, I mean, people think that, that ones are judgmental about other people, but we're really the most, it's because we're the most judgmental about ourselves. And so um, anything I say to someone else, I've said 10 times worse to myself. And so if I just don't examine that, if I just let that go on autopilot, which, you know, most of us are, until we have some kind of spiritual, moral, mental health awakening, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever that is for you, um, until we have some kind of, until it stops working, you know, um, those just automatic default dysfunctions until they stop working and we decide to choose another path until we decide to learn more about ourselves until we decide to embrace ourselves and go down a a journey of self-love and self-discovery. We're just going to operate from this dysfunction, but that doesn't mean that the core essential part of you is bad. That just means that you focus too much or you did too much. You know, it it doesn't mean that it is wrong for me to want to be good or to want to see good or create good or to do what is right. Those are great things, but I can use that to bless the world. I can use that to rally for public policies that I think will help create social, racial, socioeconomic, gender equity, or I can use that to criticize myself and others incessantly. You know, it's, it's just two sides of the coin and I'm the coin. 
I love that. That's one of the things that sold me on the Enneagram is the levels that they have. And you can find them on Enneagram Institute about the levels of progression and I guess degression of each number. And, you know, a full eight is dangerous. Um, there is one that has, is in leadership right now. I won't name names. There's probably a couple actually. Eights is probably a really prevalent political number, but it's just really interesting when you look at what an eight can really be because our core fear is being betrayed. And so if you take that to the inverse, you know, in order to prevent yourself from feeling betrayed, you become either vengeful or maniacal. And, you know, that's just a really destructive place to be in your life. But then using that fear to motivate you to do positive things, or even think about others is really helpful. You know, the reason I think I am so passionate about social justice is because not only do I want to prevent myself from being hurt, but I know what it's like to be hurt and I want to prevent other people from feeling that same pain. So I want to defend and challenge people that I love and even people that I don't know, but I empathize with because of that core fear in myself. But if I let that core fear take control of me, I will become a very destructive person and, um, you know, just really do a lot of damage to people. So you're exactly right. Like it's a balancing act and just embracing those things and wielding them as a weapon of good versus a weapon of hate. Because I think you'll see if you happen to look at your number on the Enneagram Institute, they have a list of famous people, historians and celebrities and all kinds of people, um, people throughout history, I should say. And it's just interesting to see the juxtaposition of people who are still your same number, but they're the people who are, you know, the heroes of our nation or world. And then you have like the most maniacal figures and in the same number. So it just goes to show that it's not that there's one number that's evil or one number that's the best. There's no qualification in that way. We all have potential to be our best selves or our worst selves. And I think this is a really helpful tool to help us do that. Um, and it's interesting what you said about ones being self-critics and anything that someone else says you've already said to yourself when I learned that it transformed my relationship with my husband and I think other ones, because I realized the reason why he doesn't take criticize or criticism from me well is because he's already said that to himself in a much harsher way before I could even say it. And, you know, it was interesting. I thought that it was more, oh, he can dish it, but he can't take it. And so it would cause arguments when we first got together because, you know, if he forgot to do something like take out the trash, I'd walk in and say, why didn't you take out the trash? And he's like, oh, man, you know, why are you talking to me about this? And I'd get frustrated, like, oh, you're not going to have this conversation until I realized that before I got home, he had beaten himself up for 20 minutes about not taking out the trash. And he was right on his way to go do it when I came in yelling about it. So, you know, just wow. learning about how things that I realize that he's struggling with already, how I need to tread lightly when I speak to him about them, because they're probably things, if I'm thinking it, he's probably already beat himself up about it. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be really careful about how I say things to him and what I say when it comes to criticism or even suggestions, because mm. I can say something that I think is a helpful suggestion, but he's been beating himself up about that thing. So I need to be careful in what I say and how I say to him. And so I think in the last couple minutes, I'll talk, a, or we could talk a little bit about how 
the Enneagram can help your relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I've talked a little bit about my experience with my husband. I think it's really helped me to know what people's wounding messages were, number one, so I don't reaffirm those messages when I speak to them, but also to know how to love people and how to empathize with people and how to understand where people are coming from because I've learned a little bit about their number, maybe what their core desires are and their core fears and their shame messages. And so it's really helped me to interact with people in a way that's more thoughtful than I think I have been in the past. And I will say, as Marshall said, you know, it's not something that you should like throw on somebody as, you know, I know you're a three, so I know your core desire is this. So I know why you're doing this, but you know, in your heart of hearts, if you know, yeah, I think this person is a three, you know, well, this person then believes that they only exist when they're performing and doing. So maybe I should just send them a text message that says, you know, I love you even if you do nothing. Or it doesn't matter what you do, you're worthy. And just send it because you know that that's something that that person really needs to hear and they'll benefit from. But I think you don't necessarily know those things about people, even when you really know somebody until you look into the Enneagram. And so, yeah, I just was wondering about what you think about using the Enneagram in your relationships and dealings with people. Yeah, I think it can really, I think the Enneagram can really expand our capacity to have empathy for other people. Um, But like you said, though, it can't be used. I mean, it can, it very easily often is on the internet, but um, it shouldn't be used to define other people. I think we have to allow people to define themselves. Um, But if you are in a relationship where you know that person is literally never going to take this, like, take the test, going to take this seriously, then... um, I mean, this goes against the advice of, <laughs> of the Enneagram experts, but I would say that, like, honestly, like, if, if it helps you, um, you know, to to see the ways in which um, they might be living into the dysfunctions of one of the numbers, then I, I think that you can, it's been helpful for me to to use that just as a basis, just to create some empathy. Because cause right. if, if you're really struggling with someone, you it's so hard to access empathy for them. And at least, even if you don't know like what their number might be or whatever, um, again, it, that can be harmful. You're not you're not ever gonna like tell that person, you know, I think you're a whatever, because um, you do not know their core desires um, and drives. But if you can use one of the, if you if you see like their actions kind of screaming one of these core wounds, then use that to 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 say man, it would be so hard if that was going on in my brain 24-7, you know? And so, like, I love a lot of nines. And, but not, like, nines feel like they just, they're they're so afraid of conflict and so afraid to lose relationship that, and they just, they just want peace. And so they are just, like, so afraid to, to speak up. And so, you know, if I'm in a, a meeting with a one, with a with a nine, and they won't give me their thoughts, and I'm looking for that you know that feedback. If they have you know told me that they're a nine, or uh, like then I can be like you, you know like maybe it's not about me. It could be about them. They just might not want to hurt my feelings. They might not want to to break a relationship with me. Um, 
you know, by criticizing me. So I can understand that, that they are just, maybe they just need some time, you know, to, to think about what they, what they, what they need or what they want or what they think. Um, because maybe they need some time and space away from me with my very dominant opinions to figure out what's true for them. And, or, or, you know, if you're in a relationship with a two, how can I be of service to them? Cause they feel like they have to serve everyone to Ooh, preach, to, preach, you know? And so you can use it. Um, you know, even if you don't know whoever went in your family, you know, what numbers they all are, I think that you can at least become aware with all the, become aware of all the numbers and learn what are some common things that show up in, in human relationships, you know, between numbers and even if you can't diagnose the number, you can still say, okay, I know that they, like me, feel unloved in a certain area. I know that they, like me, feel not enough in a certain area. We all experience mm-hmm. the same. So how can I just you practice empathy? How can I, and it's so, it's so hard to do in our very <laughs> um, wild times we're living in um, to put yourself in the other person's shoes. But you know, as you've talked about, Ruth, I think so much of our dysfunction comes from shame. I think, ra- yes. like you said, racism comes from shame because you don't feel enough, so you have to put other people down. And so, or you have to elevate yourself and so in your own mind. And so, how sad, how difficult, how horrible it must be to live in that mind, in that person's mind, where they feel so insufficient and again, you know, all you know, all for accountability, all for you know, um, deconstructing and dismantling systemic uh, oppression and, and holding people accountable for for the things that they you know for for the way that they have created harm. And also, if we want to heal our relationships, if we want to heal our nations then we have to get in the minds of the people that we disagree with and the people that are difficult for us to get along with. Oh my gosh, what a perfect way to end it. If we want to heal our minds, ourselves, our nation, we have to get in the minds of people that we disagree with. It's the only way. And that's a really great segue into the conversation that Marshall and I are going to have next. And you guys will hear next week about truth and all the ways that truth manifests itself. Um, Thank you, Marshall, so much for this unbelievable conversation. We could talk about the Enneagram forever. (laughs) So if I get a lot of feedback and people like it, I'll bring it back and we could do Enneagram, you know, part two, but thank you so much. Thank you, Ruth. so much for joining me for episode five i hope you enjoyed the conversation with marshall and i i hope you learned something about the enneagram and that you look into it like i said i'll put some resources in the episode notes and next week marshall will be back to talk to us about truth i think you'll learn a lot and really enjoy the conversation so until then be safe be well take care of yourself